Hello and welcome to Surroundscapes, an audio and video podcast series featuring a diverse collection of interviews with thought leaders from around the world, addressing the general subject of the future of business. This content is curated by Blue Sound Professional and focuses on the role of the oral and visual senses in creating unique, delightful and compelling experiences to stimulate business. This third series of Surroundscapes is focused on the future of events, the sector of the market which has been hardest hit by the COVID-19 pandemic. I'd like to introduce Julian Lemaitre and Kevin Hines from Pure Sets. They're talking to us from LA and we'll talk about um, their adventures before, during and after COVID. So welcome, Julian and Kevin. Hello. Thank you. Hello. Great. I'd like to start by asking you a little bit about your background and what it is that you do. So I'll start with you, Julian. Uh, hi, I'm Julian Lemaitre. I'm a producer. Um, I've been a producer for over 15 years, uh, focusing mostly on uh, commercials, music videos, uh, the occasional feature and documentary and so on. Anything, uh, anything motion picture, I like to say. Kevin and I have a uh, service company. So we also manage um, or handle shoots from abroad and uh, for domestic agencies and clients who want to shoot here uh, as well as in Canada. Great. Thank you. And I should actually point out at this time that Kevin is actually my brother-in-law. So I, I know his background, but for the benefit of the rest of you, Kevin, can you uh, give us some of your background? Uh, yeah. Like Julian, I'm a producer. I'm based in Los Angeles, California. Um, I'm a producer, executive producer former assistant director, um, mainly focusing on the television commercial uh, production business. Uh, as mentioned, Julian and I have a production service company that we service jobs with ad agencies, foreign production companies coming into the US, and we do all manner of commercials, uh, anything from cars to financial to beauty, uh, etc. And then also Julian and I are partners in a company called Pure Sets, which is a COVID mitigation company that services the film, television, and live event industries. Excellent. We're going to get to Pure Sets in a minute. But uh, before we do that, talk to me a little bit about how the pandemic affected your business in general and you two in particular. As I said at the beginning, in I have a lot of friends in the events industry in general, and it really has been hard hit in general. What's what's your experience of it all been? Well, I mean, I think uh, full stop really was the was is the simplest way to put it. We were all hearing about this this virus in in China, then it started popping up elsewhere, then it was here, um, and you thought, well, you know, we've seen this before with MERS and bird flu and SARS. And it'll be sort of another one of those. And it just got worse and worse and worse. My wife is a physician and she was tracking it very actively and started saying, you know, this is going to, this is going to be bad. This could get really bad. Suddenly it was upon us, you know, and, and we were, I, I personally was hold, was in the middle of shooting and holding for another shoot. And all of a sudden that shoot canceled and I was given my you know, I've given a cancellation fee. And I looked at my calendar and realized that I had nothing holding. Um, and mm -hmm. I'm somebody who works, you know, like a bit of a madman. And I, I tend to work back to back. 
And I looked at my calendar, like I said, and I realized I had absolutely nothing on the books. And I just talked to some friends of mine and they had nothing on the books. And uh, personally, that was uh, of concern because I'd, we'd just moved into a new house that we'd spent uh, <laughs> all of our savings renovating. And um, I realized that uh, I would have, you know, I'm, I'm freelance, right? I mean, we, we, Kevin and I own a production entity and I work freelance and all of that, but basically we're freelance employees and we, we work on a freelance, in a freelance industry. And, uh, and, and yeah, I realized that it was a, it was an absolute dead stop. And then the state of California shut down film production and hmm. that was that. And, uh, yeah, so it was a, it was a very abrupt stop and, um, you know, you go from having quite a, you know, quite a manageable income to having zero. Um, yeah, yeah. and so that was, it was a rude, a rude awakening and, and, and very concerning at the time. Hmm. How about you, Kevin? Was it the same for you? Yeah. Uh, you know, Julian and I have been working together, bidding on jobs. We had a, a project that was coming in from Europe that was going to be shooting in Dallas. We quickly discovered that the government had uh, closed the borders. So now our client couldn't come to the United States to shoot. And so therefore that job was canceled. And the, you know, the other thing that was really frustrating too, is that once everything shuts down, you want to know what the end is, you know, mm -hmm. when this is over, uh, you want to have somebody step up that has some sort of authority and knowledge that can give you some guidance there was none. That was really a sobering situation because our entire business shut down, uh, the money mm -hmm. stopped, and there was crickets in terms of anybody from state, local, business, trade, federal government, nothing. Yeah, yeah. And having known you for decades now, I know that your your business is really unpredictable but this must have been just terrible yeah i mean it goes through it goes through cycles but i mean i've never seen it other than like right at 9 11 i've never seen it totally stop um, right. and kevin's right there was no there was no kind of uh, guidance from anybody whether it be from the trade organizations that that manage you know the the commercial side of the industry the unions um the broader film industry at large uh the state the, you know state and local government federal government i mean everyone was really sort of trying to figure it out in real time and most people just you know frankly filed for unemployment and sat back to wait it out so kevin called me some some time fairly early on in the pandemic and talked about it, an idea you guys had had to to pivot somewhat, and I think that resulted in the formation of the company Kevin mentioned earlier, Pure Sets. Can you talk a little bit about the inception of that and how that came about and, and what it is? It's a it's a very simple story. I was sitting at my kitchen counter attempting to do some work and um, you know wondering what we were all going to do and started seeing some of the guidelines being put out by various individuals at the time. There was people in the business who were kind of publishing their own product health protocols saying, "Okay, well, when we do go back to work, we'll have to wear masks and we'll use finger cots and gloves and uh and we'll spray, you know, we'll spray things down before we touch them, and and then again after we've touched them, and that kind of thing. And I uh, I read one of these guidelines to my wife, who's uh, as I said is a, is a physician and she's a surgeon and and is very familiar with 
you know, maintaining a sterile field and, and all of that kind of stuff. And I read her one of these guidelines and she just looked at me and said, yeah, you're never going back to work. And I said, well, why? You know, and she explained all the reasons why, uh, you know, there was this very kind of well, well thought out and kind of well-intentioned protocol that had been put out was full of holes, really. And I said, well, you know, we should write this. I mean, I know production and through her and other people, we know we have access to, to medical expertise and public health expertise and infectious disease expertise. And so we, um, we created a, a group, you know, and we started, uh, I called Kevin, I said, oh, I have this idea. And uh, he's always enthusiastic and willing to go the extra mile and said, okay, great, let's do it. And we created a, a working group and we started really writing our own protocol and, and, and going through the production process, which really can apply to a film set or a live event or, or a retail setting, or frankly, anywhere that people gather. And saying, well, how do you do this and how do you do it safely? Catering, craft service, makeup, wardrobe, and so on and so forth. We wrote that and we had it consulted on by an infectious disease specialist and by some public health specialists who gave us their feedback. And um, and as this was going on, you know, we were wondering what, what what will we do with this thing? And I think, you know, really at the time we were kind of planning to just sort of open source it to the world and to the industry and say, look, we've put a group of people together that understand the various aspects of this problem. And, and here's a solution. Maybe we can all work this way. Um, and as we were doing that, the group of unions and guilds published a document called the safe way forward or the white paper at the time, uh, which is sort of a first draft of how this is going to work. And then the AICP, which is the, the organization that governs the commercial industry published one that was very similar we spoke to some people at Netflix and they had one. And and I realized very quickly that in fact, the protocol itself is not that complicated and it's not going to be about whose protocol is better than your, you know, my protocol is better than your protocol. Um, it's really going to be about implementation because the rules, distancing, mask wearing, hand hygiene, uh, large scale decontamination, testing, and so on. Uh, uh, like I say, it's really st relatively straightforward, but it's in the it's all in the execution. And so we realized that it was going to be about the the implementation of this, the execution of it on sets. And us as producers, I said, well, I you know this is an incredible amount of work to manage this, and I frankly don't want to do it, and I'm not qualified to do it. I want a company, I want individuals that we can hire who know how to do this. And so we we set about to form pure sets, and and that's what we do. We we source medics and medical professionals, paramedics, and, and we have a guy out of the Navy SEALs, you know, corpsmen out of the Navy, these sorts of things. And we put them through an additional training course and we put them onto sets to to monitor film shoots from the perspective of, of a medical professional and, and someone who's familiar with film as well. And then we, we, we couple that with uh, FDA approved PPE, um, large scale decontamination, and of course, uh, lots and lots and lots of testing. We kind of came up with the company, Kevin, right? Like pretty, pretty fast. Yeah, we we basically we were talking about. It. I think we were exchanging emails, and then one of us was basically said we, we were looking around. You know, the interesting thing about this whole situation there 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 was no there's no business out there. This is a pandemic that no one's ever encountered before, and. Uh, you know, I was doing a Google, Julian was doing a Google search, his wife was doing a Google search, and we quickly discovered, why not us? Because there's nobody else out there. 
So we decided just to go for it and, um, and, and create the company ourselves. And I think in talking to you before, Kevin, you were saying that, that you have medical staff on set anyway. So you already had access to some of those people that, that would normally be on set. The way that it works, which is interesting, but OSHA uh, has courses that you can download online and take, and they cost $75 a pop. And you take four or five of those classes and you get XYZ certificate and you are now a COVID compliance officer that can work on set. And Julian and I looked at that and we were kind of horrified because that meant that any actor that wasn't working or anybody uh, could claim that they were a COVID compliance officer. And we didn't feel that that had enough authority and knowledge and experience to really deal with something that is a potentially fatal disease. So what we decided to do was to lean into the set medic community. On every film crew, there's usually a medic who is a trained EMT, who is on set, who has medical knowledge and and authority. And we felt that those were the perfect people to have on set because the crew trusted them immediately. They knew that these people were, were educated and skilled at what they did. We brought them along with a little bit extra, um, a little bit extra training that you know we taught them in regard to dealing with COVID. Uh, we felt that that was a really great asset to have. And then those people that took the OSHA courses, we would use those and employ them as assistants to work with the with the medics. So, so you had this idea. You formed a company. How did you go about kind of telling everyone, and what was the initial reception? Um, we, you know, I think we, we did, we did a couple of like forums. There's a group called Producen that's kind of a, an unofficial town hall type of thing of production people. We were talking to them and, and I did a, I did a session with them where they had a panel and I was on that panel. And I think we sent one email when we launched the company to about 40 or 50 production executives and production managers and producers and the people that we knew. And I think to date, that's the only marketing we've done. I, yeah, sent, I, think, I, think, I think we sent one, team, one email saying, hey, as many of you know, you know, I've, I've started this company and here's the website and, uh, and here we go. You know, there was an awful lot of time spent of people saying, well, when we, when we do go back to work, how's it going to work? And everyone had an opinion, obviously. And then the governor announced, I think on a Wednesday, that they were going to reopen filming on Friday morning. And on Friday morning at 9 a.m., Film LA was open for business and you could get a permit again. And at 9.01, the phone started ringing and, uh, and it sort of hasn't stopped, actually, because, because it went from being, well, gee, how are we going to do this? And everyone has their opinion. Every, everybody still has their opinion, but ultimately people have to work. And so, yeah, it, it took off like a, like a rocket. And, uh, and there's a lot of sleepless nights getting, getting the company up and running to, to meet demand. That's my next question. How have you managed to keep up? And you, you mentioned LA opened again. Is is the work you do mainly or only in LA or does it is it wider spread than that? Uh, it was at the beginning mainly LA, but we've expanded it now. We have bases of operations uh obviously in Los Angeles, in New York, uh in Atlanta and Miami, and now uh also in the Midwest based out of Detroit. So we have we have operational bases in all of those places, and we can more or less handle anything 
nationwide. The good thing about our system, as Kevin says, we lean into the, the set medic community. And so we can identify those people, we vet them, and we can put them through our training program and basically turn them into a, an IPC, which is what we call our COVID monitors, an infection prevention coordinator. We can you know, do that in a, in a matter of a day or two. We can sort of you know, teleport this system anywhere in the country and in fact, into Canada, which we started to do a little bit uh, as well. So yeah, no, we're, we're, we're pretty much nationwide now. We have a network of labs that we've, we've vetted and work with and, uh, and we do work all over the country. And how about the, both the PPE and the uh, test kits? Because I know both of those have been hard to come by. Has that been difficult to scale? We mainly lean into, as it applies to testing, our medical team uh, leans into the PCR test. Uh, we lean into the PCR test because we believe that that is the gold standard of testing. Uh, we don't do uh, testing kits per se. Uh, we usually create a uh, testing event where we will rent out a parking lot and do a drive-through testing, or we will have a office space, say, in New York, uh, that people can go to and get the PCR test done there. Um, and that's mainly what we, we, we deal with as it applies to testing, because we feel it's just the strongest test that's available. There's a number of other tests that are out there, but they have a high percentage of false positive negative, and we find that to be very problematic, as do clients. There was a huge amount of confusion around this at the beginning. Production teams, events, anyone that needed testing, they just knew they needed testing. They didn't necessarily know what kind of testing they needed. People were doing antibody tests, people were doing antigen tests, and people were doing uh, what Kevin described, the PCR test. Uh, and they are really not the same thing. Um, and they are uh, to greater and lesser degrees appropriate for screening an otherwise healthy healthy population to be working together. And so um, because PureSets is you know, medically backed and, uh, and everything we do is, is, is backed by CDC and local public health guidelines, we, as Kevin says, lean into the in-lab PCR test as the gold standard. Are doing that. We, we also run antigen tests and so on, but we will not use, for example, uh, antibody tests to screen, a, to screen a population. And then the PPE equipment, has that been an issue at all? No, it, in the beginning, it was a little bit of a scrum. Uh, there was a lot of, um, of price gouging, etc., because everybody needed it. Everybody needed it now. A lot of uh, items were coming out of China. Uh, sometimes they would land on, on the docks and the government would take it because they, they, they had priority. Uh, then the other question is, is that what was the quality of the PPE that you were getting? People were just basically throwing stuff at a wall to see if it would stick, but they did not know if this was any good, right? You could have a KN95 mask and you could put a, a, a you know, you could blow a, a, a match out with it because they were just made out of basically Kleenex. So it took us a little while to find quality vendors. Uh, we lean into the FDA approved, uh, and then therefore we've got those, we've got the vendors, and now we have storage facilities in Los Angeles, in the Midwest, and in the East Coast, so that we always have a stock of, uh, of all of the PPE that's needed on the job for our clients. I mean, what was interesting was at the beginning, no one really knew what we would need either. So, I mean, to this day, I think we're sitting on a stockpile of half-face respirators and full-face oh. respirators and Tyvek suits 
that at the time, at the beginning, we thought, oh God, you know, everyone's going to need these things. And uh, of course, wearing a full face respirator for 14 hours on a film set is actually not a great idea. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, the, it's evolved a lot and we've we've learned a lot. Um, the industry in general has has evolved a lot. And, and what was at the beginning, a very alien concept, a very uncomfortable and um and often treated quite hostilely uh concept um or concept that was treated you know with quite hosti- with, with hostility is now much more accepted it's it's this is the price to pay to get us all back to work and to get us back to work safely and it's been really rewarding and, and fulfilling to see you know friends and colleagues of, for that we've known for years using the company and being able to work safely we've to date done, I think 250 individual productions, um, well over a thousand days of shooting. You know, we've performed something like 50 or 60,000 COVID tests and we've had zero on set transmissions. So wow. that that to me is great, is the proofs in the pudding, right? I mean, and that's not to say by the way that jobs haven't been shut down, that people have tested positive, that there's been a risk of exposure. There's some very fraught uh, late night and early morning phone calls when when results come in and they, somebody you know a crew realizes that someone's tested positive and that they've been around other crew members, uh, it's incredibly tense. But the fact that we've had no onset transmissions and no no outbreaks is uh, is really is really encouraging. I've I've seen stories you know in the last few months of of actors and people talking about sets that have been blacks and and i've heard stories about sets getting shut down do, do your monitors have the ability or the the authority to shut sets down and do they yes uh they do uh this has been a recent occurrence um and again you know this goes back to our using the medics the trade group that we work with uh for commercials had an agreement that was written between uh all of the unions the directors guild and the screen actors guild and it creates kind of a new testing cadence and then spells out the job descriptions of the covid monitors which is the ipcs that we use and these people have the ability to pause a production now the question is uh what exactly is a pause? Is a pause 10 or 15 minutes to let somebody get their mask on? Or is a pause a three-day hold on the shoot because that person feels that they're creating an unsafe work environment? It can go both ways. And we have had town calls uh, with our trade group where there have been producers that have discussed this. Um, So yes, they do have the ability to pause. They are always working in conjunction with production. The advertising agencies are aware of this as well as the unions. And that's essentially what's what's happening right now. Okay, so so you've got this business, it's scaling like crazy, but at the same time, the other side of your business, the more creative side, starts to come back. And as a bit of a background to this, at the beginning of the pandemic, a lot of musicians would want to connect with their fans. So they've they kind of sat in their front room with an acoustic guitar and did a Facebook Live session or something like that, just as a way of connection. But as time's gone on, people have been thinking about how they can they can up-level this and, and um, have bigger events, maybe charge people for doing it. And I believe you've got involved in that side of the business. Can you talk a little bit about 
how that came about and, and what that looks like now? Kevin and I, with our, our production uh, lives, have a relationship with, um, I suppose you'd call them a creative agency. And we were handling the production for them, you know, doing projects like Puma and so on. And they recognized exactly the, what the, you know, the situation you just described. And they created an offshoot company called Lily Studios, um, in which we are, uh, of which we are a part. Lily Studios aims uh, ultimately to do live streams and they leverage a platform called Maestro, which is, you know, really a, a, a very powerful tool. It's a, effectively a video player, but you can customize it in almost infinite ways. Our creative team, and that's the, the, the side of the business that's not really Kevin and I, have become very, very skilled and adept at doing that. And so we now have been shooting performances and that can be bon jovi doing a, a small conversation with vip fans um, or that can be billy eilish having a full-on concert with uh, an xr and 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 led backgrounds and filmed you know at the highest level using all of our expertise uh, and the expertise of our of our agency partners um, and then put into the maestro platform customizing that portal for the experience. And then um, the other thing that Maestro allows you to do is, is engage uh, all kinds of heavy uh, interactivity with fans. So that can be, um, you know, what, what song should they play next? And you get to vote on it in real time and then the artist will play it. That can be, uh, you know, trivia, that can be uh, Q and A's, that can be uh, all kinds of things. And the sky really is the limit and we continue to push those boundaries. And so that has been something else that we have been doing in the last several months. And as a, you know, we started relatively small. We did Tim McGraw's album launch in Nashville uh, under very strict COVID guidelines and, and uh, only a month or two out of lockdown. And that progressed and we did uh, up to doing um, Billie Eilish right before the holidays. She had had to cancel her world tour and we did that show. Um, and we're about to shoot this coming weekend for for a big corporate client who's putting on a big concert. And the demand for it is kind of overwhelming. There's there's artists who are, are seeking ways to reach their fans. There's, you know, live theater type performances, your Cirque du Soleil's, your, your, your Vegas shows who are, uh, who are struggling to find their audience right now. There's, you know, all of the festivals that have obviously had to be, be shuttered. I mean, it's a huge business, um, as you well know. And, Everyone is trying to figure out what the next step is. And I don't think we've quite solved it with, with what we're doing at Lily, but it's, it's leaps and bounds ahead of an Instagram live um, or something mm -hmm. like that. And where we, what we aim to do is take all of our experience at creating kind of a level, a list visual content, be it commercials, music videos, features, what have you. Um, and ascribe that sensibility to a live show and then putting it through Maestro with the interactivity, you, 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 you start to get to a place where you're curating a very premium, very personalized experience. It becomes about not so much trying to transplant the live experience. It becomes something else entirely. We're not saying to you, hey, here's a concert that you can't be at. So we'll give you the best seat in the house of the show you can't mm -hmm. be at. 
it's really about putting them in the show and giving them an experience they could never have had, even if they were there in person, because obviously we can put cameras into places and do things um, with, with, with cameras in post-production that you couldn't otherwise do. It's a, it's a rapidly evolving, I would say, um, and very interesting uh, world. We're continuing to push the boundaries, I think, every day. And every job we do gets bigger and more complicated and different. Um, but it's very exciting because it, it, it starts to open up. Like I say, it's, I think it's not so much about replacing a side of the entertainment industry that can't exist at the moment. It's about creating a, a whole new one. Yeah, that that really, I really felt that. I saw the Billie Eilish concert and um, or live stream, and before the pandemic, I was doing some work with Imogen Heap, English artist, about three uh, D positioning of sound and and being able to. She uses some gloves called the Mimu gloves, that where mm-hmm. you where you're able to control the sound with the gloves, create and control. And we were beginning to go out and tour. Um, with 3D sound, so kind of immersive sound. Uh, D&B have a system called Soundscape. Uh, L Acoustic have a thing called Lisa, which does the same sort of thing, uh, where you can position the instruments, not just or the sound sources, not just left, right, but anywhere in the auditorium or anywhere in the space. And they sound like they're coming from the same space, where, the same place, wherever you're standing in the audience. And But that's difficult to tour with. So people were beginning to to use technology to to, to make a more immersive um, experience for people, and then I saw the Billie Eilish thing, and saw some of what was done visually there with with presumably CGI or or AI or something to to where the imagery was behind her, around her, in front of her, which would have been very difficult to do in a concert setting Mm -hmm. a live concert setting so that got me thinking about well okay what does this look like afterwards is it and and you've talked uh, julian about the interactivity and and i wonder what gigs will look like afterwards and how this will change things will they be all physical all online some sort of hybrid how will the technology that you're using now translate post-pandemic well i think that um, you know, every artist that I know and work with and every music lover that I know, the one thing they all say consistently is they can't get they can't wait to get back to live shows. Mm-hmm. So I think that the minute that we can, they will. That said, with the sort of things we're doing with Lily and the kind of technology we're, we're doing, we're using and, and that you're describing, and the, the Billie Eilish show is an XR uh, experience. So that's an LED background and an AR overlay. Mm-hmm. Um, so that she she feels sort of sandwiched between these two these two layers and therefore becomes three dimensional. But um, but you know using technology like that, like the you know like you're saying the three, you know three dimensional sound and and so on, um, and then even really as simply as as the way we've started approaching filming these shows um, and putting them into a portal uh, like the one that Lily creates through Maestro, um, engaging that level of interactivity, engaging that level of fan. Uh, involvement so it really becomes an experience and not a passive sit back and watch uh type of a type of experience um you know i think that they'll i think that they can be combined because now you can you can still do your live show and you can sell your 500 or 5000 or 50000 tickets depending on the size of the venue 
But you can also sell another million tickets to have people watching it from all over the world um, live uh, online. Uh, I mean, when we did Billie Eilish, we had live translation of all of the interactivity into four languages because mm. she's she's huge in Japan and, and Brazil. So we had a Japanese, Portuguese, English, and I believe Spanish translation going simultaneously. Um, and each of the people in those regions were watching their own experience in their own language, but they were all sharing the same experience. And then obviously the chat and the, the communication between all the fans can go back and forth. So I think that there is a there's there's definitely a world where that all becomes uh, you know meshed together. We're also now looking at um, creating you know clickable three dimensional digital objects within the stream, and then you can start to cross that boundary where you go and you put those that you put things out into the world where through something like a smartphone you can go and you can find those digital objects. You use those digital objects to unlock other features of the stream or for the event and it becomes a multi-day or multi-hour or multi-platform um uh, uh experience um so you know i think the pandemic in general has pushed all of these boundaries and things that were maybe possible before but were kind of cool and not necessary have be suddenly become very necessary and now that they're here they won't rule the roost you know when we're all back to normal but but I don't believe that they'll uh, don't believe that they'll go away. And frankly, you know, back to normal could very easily be another year away. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, <laughs> for a lot of people who said, "Oh, 2021 is going to be way better," uh, it could in fact be quite a bit worse. Um, we we could well be at a point right now where we're not yet halfway through this thing, and so getting used to this way of of, of digesting content, getting used to this way of experiencing. Uh, music and other live events is, I think, going to become the norm. Uh, you know, our biggest challenge is breaking the the square of you know the rectangle of your screen, mm-hmm. getting you out of the getting somebody off the laptop screen is my is is the thing that I want to focus on next. Sure. Um, because it's it's just not the same. So how do you break that frame in a way? With the the interactivity element you were talking about, being able to do stuff like request songs and all that sort of stuff. Presumably, you could bring that into a live event where people can interact um, on their mobile phones or whatever and, and do some of that. Do you see that happening? Yeah. I mean, I think that if you're at a live show, the last thing you want to be doing is looking down at your phone. Um, yeah. yeah, I agree. You know? <laughs> but, um, but what we are looking at doing is things like, you know, like I say, getting off the computer screen and maybe being able to port that onto your big screen TV. So now you're looking up and you're sharing it with your your friends or your family um, and then being able to interact with it on a secondary device like a phone. Mm-hmm. Because at the moment, a lot of it is web-based. So you're staring at a, at a laptop and you're typing into the comment section, for example. It would be nice to be able to put the whole, the whole experience up on a big screen and then interact with it through, a, through an app, you know, some kind of an app-based system on your phone. So that's, I think, the, the next major tech tech step on that front sure and is this kind of functionality only available to global megastars or or are kind of regional local bands able to access this sort of thing for their for their stream no i mean i think it's it's totally democratic i mean anyone can access it it's not just music by the way i mean it's it's theater whether mm-hmm. you, whether it's a big vegas show or whether it's your local community theater or whether it's uh 
you know, the West End or Broadway, it's product launches, it's, it's um, you know, conventions, it's, it's corporate events. It, it can all, you know, it, 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 it can all go this way and anyone, everyone can benefit from this. You can interact with the other attendees, you can interact with the, the performer or the presenter, as it were, and all from uh, obviously the safety of, of home when, I mean, certainly at the moment, no one should really be even traveling, never mind attending an event full of hundreds of people. Yeah, well, I was going to mention, too, that uh, we've been doing some projects for the big three uh, in Detroit. So uh, what's happening these days is that the car show is not happening and the big three still need to get their cars out to the dealers and so on. And typically what they would do is go to Vegas and rent out a hotel and do the whole big multi-million dollar uh, and they can't do that anymore. So what we have been working with uh, some companies is to create these exactly what Julian's speaking to is, you know, it's a, it's an event. And it is a, you know, a, a corporate show, much like, much like the ones that you go to Vegas all the time, but they can't do those anymore. So they create a smaller situation where they do have some people come in and we can control it. So we can test all these people to make sure that they're, they're good to go. And then that in turn will be broadcast. So they will have, everybody will be able to watch and be involved in this whole thing. So, so I think that in a sense, the, the world has been given this opportunity to pause in in so many different ways and consider where we are at the moment and this i mean these are big questions like for example climate change being one of them but in all areas of this there's the question of what happens when we come back what happens after this pandemic and Sometimes I talk to people who are very optimistic about, in whatever field they're talking about, people coming back differently, maybe more thoughtfully and doing things differently. But in other areas, I I think that people are just really keen to get back to doing exactly what they were doing before as quickly as they can Um, in in a lot of areas actually and and particularly in America America maybe more more so than than most countries how do you think your core business um is going to change after all of this we constantly change every every i mean my god julian what do you think it's almost like every 6 months there's a new technology there's a new camera there's a new pandemic whatever it is we have to improvise and adapt and overcome. So in our line of work, there are some certain elements that have been around for a long time, specifically the choreography of a film crew on how they work. Um, but we've always been very flexible and this business has always pivoted from going from film to video to digital to new cameras to less cameras to so on and so forth. So for us, I think it's just a constant evolution of how our business runs. It, it will never be the same, but it never has been the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a, a very fair point. That the 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 only thing that stays uh, constant in the entertainment industry is the fact that it keeps on changing and evolving. There's demand now for content. I use the word content loosely far exceeding anything we've ever seen before in the history of the world. The platforms are, are many. 
the the devices to watch them on are are varied. The appetites of of the audience are are increasingly sophisticated. Our core business as as producers and content producers, if you will, and I kind of hate that term, but I guess it mostly it fairly describes what we do. Be it advertising, be it be it music, be it features, television, uh, some hybrid thereof. That demand will, I think, be still be there and always be there. Now, how you go about doing that in the context of a pure sets and getting a hundred people together safely to work and create that content? Obviously, that will will continue to evolve as the pandemic does. And will it ever go away? You know, uh, that's maybe a separate, longer conversation with with some sure. public health and medical experts mm-hmm. that will tell you the hard truth of the of the vaccine and that it's actually not going to just solve everything until actually kind of 95% of the population has had their two doses and that this could easily become a disease that is uh, is endemic that we see every year and you have to have a booster or who knows what. So the idea of, of, of living and working with, with a virus like this or something like this that God forbid is even could be, could be far worse. You know, this is a virus with a 1% mortality rate. Uh, and look what it's done to the world. Imagine if that was a 27% mortality rate. You'd be sure. looking at end times type of things. So this could be far, far worse. And um, and and so the idea of a pure sets and allowing film crews, allowing live events, allowing people to gather and work together and collaborate um, in person, I think, I think that will not go away. I think it will evolve certainly, but not go away. And then the live stream idea, you know, I mean, the, the genie is a little bit out of the bottle. So Yes, people will want to go get together at the Whiskey A Go Go and watch a gig. And yes, they will want to go and get into a, you know, they'll want to go to Coachella again. Of course they will. Will they have to be tested before they go? Maybe. Will they have to wear a mask while they're there? You know, possibly. We'll see. But um, they will still want to do that. That said, there is now, you know, it's been shown to work that you can have those events. And like I say, also share it with hundreds, thousands, millions of people around the world live at the same time and that they can interact in a way that makes it much more of of an experience as opposed to just a passive uh what you know i'm watching a video of Mm -hmm. so i think that that will will also continue to evolve and we shall see i work in the the kind of hardware side of the business and in the hardware side of the the business as in the hardware side or product side of many businesses what we did originally was sell product. We sold boxes. And then we moved in the AV business maybe about 20 years ago to combining boxes and selling solutions. So selling something that did something with a combination of things. And that coincided in the AV industry with the convergence of audio and video and in some cases control. And people have talked a lot about the, the, the next step which is moving from solutions to experiences, which is a much more immersive way of doing things, with maybe the final step being moving to memories, which are experiences that are so compelling that you remember them 20, 30 years later. I remember some gigs I went to 20 or 30 years ago as if they were yesterday. And, And for much of business, that's the the holy grail, if you like, creating these things that that are memorable long term. Now, the events industry in general has been doing that. That's that's what you do. 
So there's certainly a possibility that that your industry could have a much greater influence over industry in general in the years to come. Do you see that, or or is that something you've, you've not really thought about? No, I mean, I think I, I think I do see that in a way. I mean, we're, we're starting to see it, especially I think with Lily, in that, for example, we have a client uh, we're shooting this coming week, and they're they're launching a new phone, a new a new mobile device, and instead of doing, or I should say, maybe as well as doing your traditional TV commercials and radio ads and billboards and what have you, they're basically putting on a live event concert with an artist and creating a curated experience that is branded to them, but really has nothing to do with them. You know, it's sort of cool by association, I guess, or, you know, yes, we like you say, you're creating an experience that fans and customers will will you know will, will that they will resonate with them that they will identify with and that they will gain you know some level of i guess credibility or market resonance but you know and, and that's not new by the way i mean brands have been trying to do that for a while but i think that as people are now consuming media in all kinds of different ways consuming it largely at home obviously due to the pandemic currently that that will continue to to evolve you know the, like you say it's the holy grail for for the business world to tie their product or service or whatever it is that they're ultimately selling in with an experience that doesn't feel like it's trying to sell something. Yeah. And that you remember, I mean, people still talk about, and I still remember the Apple 1984 uh, Super Bowl ad, for example, you know, over 35 years later. And, and for me, some of the things that I find the most depressing about, about this lockdown period is Sitting on your couch, eating pizza, binge watching White Collar or whatever it is, is how we get through our days now, many of us. But we're not going to remember that in 10 years time or 20 years time. We'll remember there was a pandemic. We'll remember there was a a, a time in our lives where things were dramatically different. As you say, Julian, the stark truth of it may be that this is just the first of, of the, the global pandemics. I hope not, but, but it might be. But I think the thing that I crave the most is, you know, this week is going to be the same as last week, is going to be the same as the week after. You know, the activities are going to be very similar for me. The sorts of things that I measure my life by, the, the kind of the memorable events, the the meals, the gigs, the travel, the, you know, whatever it is, the art exhibitions aren't there anymore. So you're left with kind of the day to day. And I, and and I've talked to a lot of people about this and and people really feel the need to get out there and do memorable things again. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's why the, that's why the idea with Lily of doing, you know, event-based entertainment I think is is key because you know to your point anyone you can you can now tune into Netflix and binge watch your favorite show anytime you want and as much as you want um, and you know those platforms are desperately trying to fill that void with with as much production as they can and 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 fair play but um, you know creating event viewing uh and and something that becomes an experience like you say is is of course the goal um it's a pretty high bar you know and and you want it to be something that's worthy of people's time and 
and really getting people past the idea that they're going to buy a, a ticket to something that they're going to watch through their laptop. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is, 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 is also a challenge really, you know, just on the, on, on, on for a lot of people. And, but that, you know, it, it will come. And, and as I say, as we, as we start to sort of pull out of this pandemic and life returns to a little more normal, maybe with some limits, um, I think this, this whole sort of idea of, 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 of a way of consuming things is here to stay and it will only get better. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so. And I think, I think you're right. It's, it's, it's also important when many of us spend our days looking at people on screens. Um, I was talking to a friend about a week ago and she was saying, well, on Christmas day, I had zoom calls back to back with my family and, but that's what I do during every work day. I have Zoom calls back to back with clients or whatever. And so it didn't really feel memorable. And being able to make those those events, those live streams memorable. So even if you've you've watched during the day or you've been in 10 Zoom meetings, you can go to a gig in the evening that still feels special. That's to me the key. Yeah, and that's certainly what we're trying to trying to achieve with these streams. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that's why they're different to, you know, an artist on their couch doing an Instagram live, for example, or, or whatever yeah. comparable platform yeah. it's, we're really trying to put in sort of a level visuals production value and make it, make it an experience. And then, as I say, not just film it as though it was a stage show that you couldn't be at, mm-hmm. but, but, but break those boundaries. And it's interesting as far as the artists are concerned, because I come from the audio side of it all. And in the audio side of it all, music has become an all you can eat for 10 bucks a month experience. So, you know, you, you get Spotify, you get Tidal or you get whatever. And, and it's music has become almost completely valueless to most people. And this idea of being able to create something that artists can charge for again that has a value is is an interesting way forward. We're getting towards the end of uh, an hour now, so I want to to pull this towards a close, but I'd like to ask each of you whether there's anything else you'd like to say and any thoughts you have about what the future is going to look like. After you, Kevin. I think it's exciting. You know, I uh, uh, being a freelance producer we use this as a joke in a way to clients when we were uh, starting pure sets. And the idea is that I was trying to illustrate the point that it's very difficult to have your production team uh, put together a, essentially a hazmat squad to watch over your set. And the way that I did it is I said, you know, for our business, you know, I don't have a problem having somebody come to me and say, I want to put six monkeys on a bicycle can you do that? And I can. It's not going to be tomorrow. and It's not going to be cheap. But I can do that. And the beautiful thing is, is that our job changes so often. You know, tomorrow, Julian's doing a live show, I'm going to be shooting a car job in a few days. The next week, we could be throwing somebody off a building on fire. It's constantly changing all the time. This is something that's not unusual to us. So we invite this, we invite this change because we are capable and up to the challenge. So I I really look forward to it. And I know the world will change to what degree I don't know, 
but uh, I'm excited for it, and I'm I'm not afraid. How about you, Julian? As Kevin says, the world will change, um, and I think maybe you know it, it could go perhaps one of a couple of ways. And I read something recently that made me smile and shudder all at the same time. So uh, you know, ten years from now, you could pull on a jacket and find a mask in the pocket. Oh man, what a weird year that was! You'll chuckle to yourself. Then you'll pick up your machete and continue across the wasteland, keeping to the shadows to avoid the roving gangs of cannibal raiders. So that's, you know, one version. Let's all hope and let's all work together to not go that way. We've had, uh, we've had an election and then another one um, recently that I think could, could turn, the, turn the course of this country and, and help to turn the course of the world. You know, you mentioned the way earlier with the pandemic that people are being perhaps more mindful and, and more considerate of, of the things that we all took for granted, really. You know, we're, we're all lucky enough in the Western world to live in countries where, you know, it's you're free to do as you will and kind of come and go as you please. And, and suddenly you can't do that. And a lot of people, I think, are really struggling with it. I think that if we can continue this 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 way of sort of in trying to improve ourselves and improve the world and improve the way we do our our jobs and our work and do them you know safely and 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 healthily if that's a word and keep pushing you know the technological and creative boundaries and you know then then the sky's the limit if we relapse into the the sort of good old bad old ways then uh i think we could be it could be it could be you know it could get very dark very quickly as we've just experienced, you know, yeah. we, we think yeah. we look at how fast this turned on us. Let's, let's make sure that doesn't happen again. Yeah, sure. I mean, living in Portland, Oregon, as I do, going downtown now, it's completely boarded up with um, homeless people in tents on, on the sidewalks. And it feels very much like, you know, the fifth element or Blade Runner or something like that. And uh, I'm, I'm anxious to, to pull back from that sort of future, as you say. So I've been following your work through Kevin um, over the last few years, and it's been inspiring what you've been able to do. But I've been particularly inspired by the pivot you've done during this pandemic to, you know, to, to make a workable business and provide for yourselves, your families, as well as helping other people. I imagine people will want to get in touch with you after this. So I think I'd like to know how best to get in touch with you for two different ways, how to get in touch with pure sets and also how to get in touch with the, the, the other side of your business, the production side. Pure sets, uh, you can reach Kevin at or Julian at or info at puresets.tv or go to puresets.tv online and there's contact information there. Lily Studios is uh, lilystudios.com and I'm julian at lilystudios.com or we also have our production entity that is broadly umbrellaed under, under a group we call Good Fast Cheap and if you go to goodfastcheap.tv there is also contact information for both of us there and I guess that's the three, the three separate hats. Great and I should Tell people that you spell your name with an E at the end rather than an A at the end. Yeah, J-U-L-I-E-N, yes. So thanks so much, Julian and Kevin, for your time. It's been really, really interesting. And thank you for everyone who's, who's listened. I'd like to know what you thought of it. So please go onto your podcast platform of choice, Spotify, Apple, Google, SoundCloud, 
or if you're listening to it on our website. And leave comments, leave ratings, tell us what you liked, what you didn't like, who you'd like us to be talking to. And please come back and listen to some more Surroundscapes. So thanks very much and see you next time.